please do sit down. I'm going to invite um, Christopher to come and read to us now from Nehemiah. This reading is from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 to 18. So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I arose in the night, and I a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went up by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Father God, thank you that you've given me this opportunity to speak your word. And I just pray, Lord, that it may indeed be your words that I speak today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a... Um, I, I, let's start again. <laughs> we, we, we've sought a vision of, of what we should be doing in, in, in this church, right? We've, and I think we're still seeking it, and we're kind of doing some things along the way, and maybe that is part of the vision, and, and I, I'm sure it is. Um, we'll get into that bit, a bit more. But I wanted to kind of dig into Nehemiah a bit, because I think there's some lessons for how we conduct ourselves when we're making plans. And um, let's just read, uh, I'm just going to read to you, if you want to follow along, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14-ish. And this says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, 
declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So the key thing here is we need to know, as God's people in this place, that God does have a plan for us, each and every one of us individually and collectively. And I think sometimes we forget that, that God is in control here. God has a plan that he knew about even before we were born. And without becoming all Calvinistic, that's really good, that God knows all about what he wants for us before we were even born, and probably before we even realise that. And, and here's the thing, it's a specialised plan. It's not just a wishy-washy kind of outlying thing. It's for each and every one of us, for us to reach our destiny with God, in our journey with God. It's a specific, specialised plan that he has for us. What else? Well, it's a plan that's going to prosper us. It's not going to harm us. It's not going to take us in the wrong direction. It's not going to lead us off into some blind alley. It's a plan that will prosper us individually as a church. And it's a plan of hope. It's a plan of a future. I think this is really exciting. It, it involves us meeting with God in prayer, first of all. And then God listens and responds to us. So this plan is just going to be an amazing thing. And I think some of it is happening already. It's implementing the plan that is the tricky bit sometimes, isn't it? Because it may involve change. And you know, we don't like change that much. Some of us do. I definitely don't like change. There's... Um, when I was in business, there was a, a book going around in the, the sort of late 80s, early 90s called Who Moved My Cheese? I don't know whether anyone's um, come across that book. It was a management guru book. Um, it was about two uh, mice called Hem and Haw, which was weird. Um, and, and, and basically, it was about two mice... Um, coming out, they, they had cheese provided for them every day and then somebody moved the cheese. And it was all about the kind of angst of Hoare. Hem was fine with it because he made a plan to go and find the cheese. Hoare was kind of just completely distraught with, somebody's moved my cheese, I can't do... Yeah, and that's a bit like me when, when somebody asked me to do something differently. It makes us, diff it, it makes us feel a bit uneasy sometimes. And, you know, God's plan might make people a little bit upset. It might mean that we have to adjust ourselves and become like um, Hem, who, who kind of just kind of got on with it and, and relished the change. And, and the lesson from Nehemiah is that he implemented change. And he did it in a very controlled and clever way. And I think there's things we can learn from Nehemiah when he was rebuilding Jerusalem and the walls. He did things one thing at a time. 
and Christopher read for us that he he kind of uh, will will delve into later on in Nehemiah the fact that he had a clear order of doing things. He did one thing at a time. Again, my scientific background tells me that when I'm trying to experiment and find out cause and effect, that I can only change one variable at a time. Otherwise, I've got what's called confounding variables and, and I'm not sure what it was that made the effect. If I only change one thing at a time, I can then see what happened as a result of that change. Fair enough. So if I'm trying to grow some microorganisms and I want to find out the best temperature, I have to keep everything else the same, the pH, the media um, that they're growing in, everything the same and just change the temperature because then I know it's just the temperature that's having an effect. And I think sometimes when we have a plan, we need to kind of break it down and make sure that we do things in the right order. Let's focus on one thing at a, on a, a time. So in our life, for example, we need to concentrate perhaps on changing one thing that's not quite so good in our lives. Maybe we're a bit greedy. I'm speaking to myself. Maybe we're prone to exaggeration or lying. Maybe we're a bit uncaring. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself a lot here. But we need to think about each one of those things individually and deal with it. Because if you start thinking about, I've got to change my whole life, you get disheartened. And that's one thing that Nehemiah did very well. He, he realised this was a massive project of rebuilding Jerusalem. And so he broke it down and did it one bit at a time. So, for example, in, in Nehemiah 3, uh, in verse 1, it tells us that he started with the gates. Nice, simple project just to kind of get, get going. And that's good. So people kind of got the hang of it and thought, oh, we've got some gates now, that's good. Maybe we can go on to the next thing. So we need to implement that plan in a specific order and not in a disorganized way. We need to have a clear view of the tasks and in a practical order. Um, have any of you ever used Microsoft Project? No? Well, it was a program, I'm not sure it's even still around now, um, it's been superseded, but it, it used to be a fantastic project uh, design software. So you could put in all the tasks that you needed to do, and then it would produce this kind of chart, and it was called a Gantt chart, um, after a guy that, that invented the, this format of charting. And it basically had time across the horizontal scale, and then used to lay out bars for particular tasks, depending on how long you thought they were going to take. And what it meant was that at a single glance, you could look at a whole huge project and realise that you can't do that thing before you've done that thing. So it laid out the order and the duration of tasks, and it, it gave you um, dependencies and it flagged up where there were clashes in resources. So you could allocate people to tasks, and then you'd realize when it spit, spat out the chart that this one person was supposed to be doing this task and that task at the same time. So you then have to go back and correct that. So it was a real project management software. <clears throat> Gave you critical milestones to hit um, and uh, dependencies of, of this task depends on this task. And so Nehemiah, 
kind of must have had access to the Microsoft project, I'm sure, because he, he laid out the whole project and he, he, he tackled the gates first and then the walls and then did all the finishing touches last. So I'm absolutely sure he must have had Microsoft project because it would have been very difficult to do otherwise. And I think we as a church and as individuals need to trust that God is going to outline the right strategic order for developing his plan. We know that wisdom, which comes from, from above, um, is going to help us with that. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So, God is bigger than any Microsoft Project Gantt chart. He knows what order we need to do things in. He knows what skills we need to have, what gifts we need to be given, what people we need to come through the door in order to do the tasks that he has for us in this place. And he's going to do it in his correct order. I think that's something we need to just trust he's going to do. Nehemiah also implemented the plan for Jerusalem visibly. So, in Nehemiah um, 3, um, we read that he put his best leaders to work first on the gates in full view of everyone else. So it wasn't a big unveiling. It, it, you know, one thing he could have done was kind of get everything done kind of fairly secretly and then have a big unveiling. Like, you know, these kind of makeover shows in, in, in you know, people do, do up a house and they have the big reveal, don't they? Nehemiah wasn't in, into that sort of thing. He, he said, I want people to see us doing this work because it's going to encourage other people to get involved. It was a calculated move on his part to, to get the people behind the project and to encourage them. They saw the leaders at work, first of all, and then the people wanted to work too. And again, I think we need to have leaders that are going to lead by example and get stuck in and do the work that needs doing and encourage other people to get involved in implementing a plan. Nehemiah also implemented a plan where there was a vested interest. So in Nehemiah 3, verses 23 onwards, we read, uh, Benjamin and Habab made repairs in front of their house. Azariah made repairs beside his house. The priests made repairs each in front of their own house. Moshekam made repairs opposite his living quarters. So you can see what's going on here. The order of events was that you get your own place sorted out because you're more likely to want to work to do that because you've got vested interest. Nehemiah knew that most people would be a bit apathetic to this immense project but he gave people a vested interest in building their section. And I think perhaps God might be saying to us that we 
should be working where we have an interest, a passion, a calling. So maybe we work with people we know from work. Maybe we work with people we live near. And this is where I think God is already working out the plan for this place because we were, we, we, we were called, we think, to, to start working with Food Bank, for example. And we're already meeting people in their need. God is meeting them. And so we are working where we have a vested interest. We, we, we feel God is leading us into that. We've got Messy Church. We've got Hotspot. We've got the Sunday School. We've got Signets. Lots of places where God is giving us a place to work with people where we've got a vested interest in, in seeing those people thrive and come to God. Identifying God's given gifts and releasing them for use in his kingdom is, is a big element in implementing God's plan for, for leadership. So one of the things I think we need to be doing is recognising gifts in people and praying and releasing those people to work for God in implementing the plan. Nehemiah also experienced opposition and I think that's a lesson for us. There are going to be hiccups along the way. Now Nehemiah should have been completely bulletproof really. He was trying to implement a plan which would rebuild Jerusalem's walls, give it security, a safe place for the inhabitants and re return it to its uh, former glory. The ability to worship in a temple without fear. He had the support of the king and the king had written him endorsement letters but he still faced opposition. Even with all this kind of, you know, the dice loaded in his favour. There are at least five kinds of opposition that he faced. Apathy and laziness was the first one. Some people just didn't care about the vision. Nehemiah 3.5 says, But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Just wouldn't do it. Some people were angry. Some people got really upset about the whole plan. Nehemiah 4.1 When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the walls, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their walls? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? So there was anger and there was ridicule. Sanballat was a bit of a piece of work, really. You, you ought to read about him. Ridicule in, in, in uh, Hebrew is, is translated um, alternatively as to rage against or uh, to trouble to be indignant towards. And, you know, we get modern forms of, of ridicule, don't we, even now? Mockery and sarcasm, making fun of people, putting people down. 
and, and people are going to ridicule us and be angry with what the church is doing sometimes as we seek to implement God's plan. We just need to be aware of that and know we've got an endorsement from the king. There's criticism as well. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at Sanballat's side, this is Nehemiah 4, uh, verse 3. So Tobiah said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. Well, the Nick Vosper revised version, the NVRV, reads, um, this will never work. You can't pull this off. Even if you do it, it won't last. So this is the sort of carping and the criticism from the sidelines, isn't it? We need to be aware of, wary of that. We need to be wary of kind of just not getting on board and quietly or more volubly criticising something that we're not behind. I, yeah, I'm very guilty of this. I'll, I'll um, drive home in the car and I'll always try and find the, the problems in the service. Oh, didn't like that sermon. Oh, he was boring, wasn't he? Oh, terrible. Oh, that last hymn. I hate that song. You know, it, I've just been worshipping God and the first thing I do when I get in the car is kind of slag off the, the service. I need to be aware, wary of this trait in me and, and, and I think we all need to be wary of the attitude of not really getting, not really giving. It's the, it's the attitude of what did I get out of it, not what can I give to it. It applies to worship, it applies to anything that we do in the church, and, and it, it definitely applies to when we implement God's plan. There may even be, in, in the case of Nehemiah, he experienced... Um, you know, physical violence. So in Nehemiah 4, 8, um, they all plotted together to come to Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. It was kind of subtle infiltration at that point, not frontal assault. And then in verse 11, before they uh, know it or see us, we will be right there among them, among them and will kill them and put an end to this work. So you know, people were plotting to actually use physical violence against Nehemiah and the people rebuilding the walls. So what are our responses to, to potential opposition for when we implement and continue to implement God's plan? Well, again, Nehemiah provides the answers. First of all, we need to keep on praying. Nehemiah 4 and 4 and 5. Um, talk, tells us how he um, he just prayed. Let's pull that up. All right. So you'll follow this along. Sorry. Nehemiah. Nehemiah 4. Verse 4 and 5. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own hands, on their own heads. Give them over as plunder. 
in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, but they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So Nehemiah prayed, and, and we need to pray all the time, pray continuously, unceasingly, for the work that God has us do in this place. Secondly, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. They just kept on going. That's the, the message there. They, they prayed and then they just kept doing it because they were sure that they were doing God's work. And in verse 14, we read that Nehemiah, after I looked at things, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. We need to keep on encouraging. That's what Nehemiah was doing. So he prayed. He kept the work going and he encouraged the people. And as leaders and as people in, in God's place of work here, we need to be doing the same thing. We need to be encouraging people in the work that we're doing. We need to be praying for it. The devil was having a boot sale, as he does, and all the tools were laid out and marked at different prices. The expensive tools like hatred and jealousy and deceit and lying and pride were laid out in the front with the biggest price tags. But the most worn out tool used more than all the others and that had the highest price was labelled discouragement. And devil said, it's more useful than any other tool I've got. And most people don't even realise it belongs to me. So we need to encourage people. We need to keep on leading. So in verse 16 of chapter 4, Nehemiah says, Half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah, who were building the wall. So he was very hands-on in formulating that part of the plan to keep the work going. He kept leading with a strong hand. And he kept on watching as well. Verse 22. At that time I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. It's a lesson to us to keep watching to keep finding what the work is and to keep the work going. And you know, only God's plans are going to prevail. Proverbs 16.1 To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. Proverbs 16.9 In their hearts, humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs 19, 21, many other plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. 
for the Lord's plans, God's plan for us and for individually and for this place, they're going to succeed. Other plans are going to fail. We read about that too in Job 5, verse 12. He thwarts the plans of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. Isaiah 8:10. Envisage your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Proverbs 21.30, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. So we need to make sure that we have God on our side, which we do, thankfully. And we need to know that God's plan is going to succeed. Anyone else's is going to fail. So, in conclusion, we know that God has a plan. We know that there's a way that we're going to implement this and that God's in control of it and it's going to succeed. What we need to keep doing is make sure we keep praying we keep watching, we keep leading, we keep the work going, that we have a passion for it. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Consider it a joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. We know that we're not going to lack anything because we have the one who plans using the holy and heavenly Gantt chart of project management. And I just pray that God may help us to really work to his plan in this place. Father, we just pray, Lord, thanking you that you're in control. And thank you, Lord, that you're already helping us do your plan and carry out the work that needs doing here. We just want to get behind that. Do it in the right order. Do it in the right spirit. We want to do it, Lord, knowing that it's going to succeed. So help us, Lord, to get behind that plan. We thank you, Lord, that you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.